Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast for your free audiobook. Welcome to episode 50 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. The name of this show is Conformity, Shakespeare, and Leo Lucci. In our first segment, we interview Beth Thomas Cohen, who wrote the book called Drop the Act, It's Exhausting. We talk about our life growing up biracial. Also, former employer, Oprah Winfrey. Yes, she used to work for Oprah Winfrey, worked for O Magazine for a time in fashion. So we talk about that. In segment two, we interviewed Sam White. Sam White is the founder of Shakespeare in Detroit. And she's also the moderator and the creator behind the Shakespeare chats that you see here on BGN on our Twitter account. It happens every month on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we also geek out a little bit over Shakespeare. And then in our final segment, I chat with Lauren Warren and Mel Perez, and we do our weekend review where we're recapping all of the things that have happened this week from the X-Men Apocalypse trailer dropping to the announcement of the SAG Awards as well as the Golden Globe Awards. And we also discuss the film Creed, directed by Ryan Coogler. So I hope you enjoy the show, and thanks for listening to episode 50 of the BGM Podcast. Beth Thomas Cohen has been in the fashion industry for 16 years. As co-president of the former PR company B-Squared Public Relations, Beth launched new fashion brands and breathed life in the older ones. She previously worked as a senior director at Lividini and Company, an in-house public relations director at the luxury accessories company Lambertson Truex, and worked in the fashion department at O, the Oprah magazine. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and children. Her first book, Drop the Act, It's Exhausting, was published in November of 2015. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. This is Jamie Broadnax, and I am your host, I am so excited for this segment. I have Beth Thomas Cohen, an author, author of the book, Drop the Act, It's Exhausting, uh, which is a fabulous title. And she's here to talk about the book and also give us a little bit of background about herself, growing up, her childhood, and also just her work in the fashion industry as well. So thank you so much, Beth, for, for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I, I got to say, I really love this title. Um, it, it really speaks to sort of the motif of my life right now, at least this season of my life, where <laughs> I just don't give a damn about anything or anyone. That's, it's just about you, me. If you reach that point, then, then you're not going to probably go back the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it really is exhausting when you try to put on a front to serve either a group of people or a society or conform. The fact that I can't do that, like I'm just not built for it, it makes me feel so much secure about my identity and who I am. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you for this book. <laughs> so, and, it's, and like what I say to everybody is, 
once you kind of cross over in that area, it's so liberating. And you think to yourself, why the hell did I wait so long? Exactly. (laughs) I definitely felt like, why did I wait so long? And it's weird because I just turned 40 and women are still, this book obviously isn't for somebody who's 16. I mean, they can read it, but these are women and men who are doing that at this age. And right. Yes. So, um, so yeah, so thank you. So, you know, share with us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what motivated you to write Drop the Act. It's exhausting. I was exhausted. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was um, well, a little bit about myself. So I am, I just turned 40. I come from um, a biracial background. My mom is Caucasian and my father was African-American. Um, my husband I married is Jewish because I thought, why not complicate things even more? Um, and I honestly wouldn't know what to do if I married somebody just like me. I mean, adding more fodder it just you know feels comfortable I feel comfortable at an oddity Mm -hmm. um I have two half sisters and I have one full brother um and I have two girls I was blessed with two girls I don't know why God did that to me um (laughs) I love them dearly but I'm going to pay for it I I can't even think about it. One is nine in fourth grade, just starting um, to get exhausted. And my little one is five in kindergarten. I am a publicist by trade and I've been working in the media, in the fashion media world for 16, 17 years. Oh my God, that totally dates me, but yeah. (laughs) And, and, and you, as you mentioned before, you come from a biracial background, your, your mother is white and your father is black. Uh, what was your childhood like growing up? And were you outspoken as a kid or were you an introvert? That's actually a really good question. I've done so many interviews and nobody's asked me that about um, kind of the way that I was at the time in that way. Um, it was, you know, if I stayed in the comfort of my own house, it was great <laughs> because, uh, I mean, you know, my parents actually it resulted in a divorce, but even so, um, it was very comfortable in my own home. And I ended up going to both my parents were um, fortunate enough to go to prep schools too. Um, my father grew up on the Upper East Side projects and got an academic scholarship to a prep school in the area. And my mom grew up with a with a silver spoon in her mouth in the Midwest and and went to private school. So they kind of figured in where I lived, I was an oddity anyway. So by putting me in that type of school, we focused on academics much less type of person. Mm -hmm. So in the comfort of my home and my school, kind of, I felt really good. Once I left that comfort zone and went to like the public school in my area to hang out with kids at a party or started dating, um, I guess that's when the red flags went off. And I saw that I was welcomed into an area I had never really been, you know, kind of exposed to. Um, My parents were always extremely laid back and liberal and very open and honest and communicative about the situation. Um, I I mean, you can imagine what it was like for my mom in 1976 with blonde hair and blue eyes walking around with me. Mm. Um, So, you know, yeah, I mean, and my brother and I really look at each other sometimes. We're like, what the hell is wrong with people? (laughs) I don't even see it. And it's just so interesting that that's the first thing people see. And now that I have my own kids, I have one daughter who's blonde with blue eyes, with it, it, blonde, brown eyes, but so fair. I mean, she's like a Swiss Miss commercial. And um, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm the nanny everywhere we go. It's, are you the nanny? You must be the nanny. And, you know, I think, so. you know, nine out of 10 times, I'm good. You know, I'm, oh, no. But the 10th time, I'm totally postal. I'm, you know, the crazy black lady in the suburbs in, in like Starbucks, like fully that person. I go over, I go out, I go overboard 
once in a blue moon, I get all freaked out about it. But that's kind of what it was like for me. I was very outspoken as a child, which I think this kind of personality trapped in like a 10 year old body is like a little much, I guess. I didn't see it that way, but clearly other people did. And that was like, you know, after that, I, I started to conform and started to, you know, I was different. So if I was quiet and I and I molded myself to be who I wasn't, then I was less of an oddity. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? You know, because everybody has their moment or, you know, girls, boys, whatever, where they conform to different groups of people. But I think for me, it went further than that normal thing that kids go through. I didn't do it because I didn't like myself or because I wanted to change. I did it because I already felt different. And having this type of personality made me even more different. So it's interesting that that's kind of why I did the conforming much less. I was not confused about who I was. It's always interesting hearing stories about biracial children growing up because I had Santana Dempsey on our podcast oh, yeah. and she's a biracial actress talking about her experiences growing up and how she was bullied and got into some fights here and there and how she felt mm -hmm. that she was always too white for black people and then too black for white people. hundred percent. Well, did you face those same challenges growing up? I did. And it's like I said, it was weird because for me, you know, I remember being in, I can't even believe like, you know, now it all, writing the book, it all floods back. You know what I mean? <laughs> Your subconscious kicks in and you're like, oh, wait a minute. I remember that, you know, I like must have suppressed it. But there was a, there was, um, you know, in my school, whatever, in one of my math classes, you know, different, all different types of people or whatever. But there was a black girl in my class who said to me, I, she, she was annoyed at me for something having nothing to do with anything. I mean, it was so ridiculous what it was. I don't know. I dropped her pen or her notebook, whatever it was. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, you need to quiet down lightly toasted. Mm. And I was like, what does that? I, I it, <laughs> legit took me a second to be like, what? I didn't even understand. That sounds was. like an insult, but it's like a very like it's soft. Like, oh, that was <laughs> passive aggressive. At like, yeah. And 10th degree. But I was so stupid for a second that I was like, huh? And then I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. I feel like I've even had experienced it, you know, remote family members sometimes or close family members not even realizing it because, you know, not everybody is mixed in my family on either side, obviously. And I've definitely experienced it on the other side too, because I mean, even dating, I don't, I, I've dated every type of person known to man besides a woman. And I, I mean, you know, the, who knows? I'm only 40. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like I've dated every black, white, Greek, Jewish. I mean, I, yeah. just, I just didn't Same here. I don't see, I don't see it what they see. And yeah. so, yeah, I was definitely not black enough with the black people and not white enough for the, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't imagine I really I know this is probably a really kind of blanket statement. I just can't imagine someone who doesn't come from who does come from a biracial background that doesn't have that at some point. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it does seem like it's the same um, theme with so many biracial kids growing up that that is what they have to deal with. The dichotomy of am I too white for this group? Am I yeah. too black for this group? And, and sure. where do I fit into each of these social cultures. So yeah, and I wonder like with my girls, because both of my girls are fair. One of them is totally fair, fair, but both of them are like, theoretically, if you walked into a room and didn't see us might just think that they were white. I mean, they have amazing ethnic features that are sick, but mm -hmm. like, besides that, 
if you if you know somebody was just being closed minded or whatever. So I wonder in what way it's going to affect them because they people can't see it. So right. it'll be interesting. It's kind of like when people crack Jewish jokes or say off color Jewish comments and don't realize that I'm married to somebody who's Jewish. And I'm like, are you guys kidding? You know, like, <laughs> like I get it from every different direction. I think that's that was the thing. That's why I I didn't I couldn't find a resource like my book for regular people who were not just quote the regular people. Wow. You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book, I just, you know, and I wanted an honest account of things, mm-hmm. but I wanted it from the mouth of somebody who's actually experienced things like it. And I'm not saying I have a lot of great celebrity friends and a lot of, you know, you know, I wasn't writing a cookbook. You know what I mean? I was writing about life in that way. And I just feel like unless you've ex- fully experienced it and I've experienced it on so many levels more than other people, you know, biracial, then into religious marriage and divorce and whatever, um, I think it's really hard to take this position. So that part was really important for me because I could never find that resource. So I was reading your bio and um, impressive bio, by the way. Um, but I noticed that you worked in the fashion department over at O Magazine. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that 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 blows my mind. Like, I love Oprah. She's <laughs> like, I, I worship her. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience over at O Magazine. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of times people think if you look at me on paper like that, everyone's like, oh, my God, fashion. And then I write this book and they're like, oh, my God, she's so real. How could she how could I separate who I am? Whatever. And and it's true. You know, the fashion industry is what you think it is. There is a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. And we've made great strides in this way, but it is the way that the culture is what it is. So for me, working at something somewhere like Oprah and being able to do what I love, but in a, in a, in a climate of people that I could admire and understand and not feel different with was super important to me. Um, you know, walking into the, walking into interviews at Elle magazine or Cosmo and stuff like that. I just, I, you know, I, there, I wanted to be that person because I really liked the, the, the job first, you know, for sake of, you know, a better word, but I did the, the cult, the culture and the climate didn't match my personality. Mm. So for, for me at Oprah, I didn't feel different. I felt, um, I felt like me, I could still love fashion. I could work for somebody who did things that made the world a better place. The messages were concrete and important. Um, and it was like, I was there for the launch. So I was there for a couple of years during like the beginning and you know, she's, she's awesome. She's, she's, I mean, I don't know. She's Oprah, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you ever get a chance to meet her while you were working the there? Yeah. All the time. Oh, wow. All the time. All the time, all the time. Yeah. Fully like involved, like a hundred percent behind her magazine and everything else she does for that matter. But yeah, a million times. Is, yeah. there, is there something about Oprah that, and obviously you do not have to answer this question, but is there something about Oprah that we don't know that we would be surprised? Um, you know, it's funny. I love her because she puts it pretty much out on the table. She <laughs> is dropped. Um, Anything nerdy or geeky that she's into that we would be like, oh, my gosh, she's into that. Doesn't watch television. You know what? I, yeah, I saw that in an interview. She she does not watch TV. Trying to think of things that people like. Yeah, she pretty much issues all disclaimers about herself. She walks around like you know. She walked her. She was awesome. Like normal walk around with no makeup around the magazine. Like when we were doing like a cover trier, she was in town. Unless you know she had an appearance. Like she had no problem walking in in her juicy sweatsuit and no makeup. Maybe that would surprise people. 
That's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> I mean, for us it is because clearly we don't have the resources. <laughs> so when you're standing next to someone who's like awesome and beautiful and larger than life and done up and you're like, hi, I'm the lowly assistant. Um, yeah, she did. She that was something that I thought was like pretty awesome. She's super awesome to her staff. And she just I mean, she just there's, you know, I don't know. The, the word giving doesn't seem to justify um you know, how giving she really is. Yeah. She's like, oh, I can't, there's no word. I don't even know what it is. Like, you know, giving to the max, <laughs> you know, but people know that, but I would say that she was really chill. I don't know if anyone, you know, there's no, she is. Oh, I know she's a hundred percent involved. I think mm. people might not know that a hundred percent. Oh, that's good. That's a hundred percent involved. A hundred percent. So, you know, that would might surprise people because at the time, you know, she was doing the show and the magazine and a and hundred other things or whatever. And she's 1000% involved. So that's something. How do you feel about the expectations? I should ask about the fashion industry and what they put on women. Um, and, and how are you raising your daughters to have confidence in themselves? Oh, it's so funny. You know, Demi Lovato has a new song out. Okay. Granted, I'm like a teenage 16 year old in my car. I rock out to Justin B. You name it. Like, I think I'm 16. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm busting out with my girls on all the pop culture music you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And Demi Lovato has a new song called Confident. I'm sure you've heard it. Yes. Um, my older one has this like amazing voice and she's just like, she's kind of like larger than life too. She's just awesome. But she has, she lacks such self-esteem and, and I struggle, we struggle with it every day with her. Um, and anxiety and, and, you know, all the things that you would just hate for your child to have to worry about when they're eight or nine or whatever. So the song comes on and she's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with being confident is like the line and, and my daughter. And I kept saying to her, you know, there is nothing wrong with being com-. like I drill it into her. And today she was listening to it and, and she was answering her going, you know, she's singing that, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with being confident. And my daughter's going, no, there is nothing wrong with being confident. And it was so interesting because I that's what I do. I try to drill the messages in their mind, you know, and I try to give them an honest account about what life is like in cliff note form appropriate for nine and five year olds. But I don't want any, I don't want them to feel like they're surprised by anything. I want them to be prepared and I want them to know the world is a cruel place and that they need to know that they are, that they are fortunate beyond belief that they, there are people without any of the things that they have. And so I just want them to know, I just want them to be good people. I really just, I pray that they are just good people that even if they have a momentary lapse of weakness that they can come back around and be good people that's all I want yeah I I agree I think also confidence is something that is evolving and that it's something you always grow into accepting more and more about yourself as you get older I don't think it's something where someone can just get confidence and then that's it and and that's the end of it. They're they're 100% confident in everything they do. I think even as we get older, there's still aspects of our lives and aspects of things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis where we do lack a little confidence. We do feel intimidated by this. Um, but, but it's a learning process. Yes. And I think that, like, that's the thing about the book. People are like, well, how do I do it? How do I drop the act? Like, I want to do it tomorrow. You right. Know? And I'm like... 
here's the thing. I said, this is, I'm made up this way by DNA fully, but I'm, I need to drop my own act. Sometimes I catch myself, you know, talking to a mom at school who's being slightly aggressive. And I'm, I'm just not like that when I'm pushy or whatever. And I find myself pushing back a little bit. And then I have to stop myself and say, Oh my God, I'm stooping now down to this disgusting level. I have to check myself. So it's not something that happens overnight, just like confidence. I mean, you know, you know, you know, by this age, you know what you're good at, you know, your strengths and you know, your weaknesses and you know that you know how to navigate through life that way. But at the same time, like we all have a moment where we're just not feeling what we need to feel or great about ourselves or something like that. So my hope is that if I can drill it into her head, that she'll always come back around to that place, then, then, you know, then, and especially because I have girls you know, then, then hopefully, you know, then I've, then I've done my job or whatever, but I really just want them to be good people, accepting people. I I want them to accept people for who they are, not what they are. That's like the biggest lesson in my house. It's like, you come into my house, you check your judgment at the door. I, I have zero policy tolerance situation for that. And I will call you out on it. If you are on my turf, you know, I, I just, I have zero tolerance for it. It's disgusting what people can conjure up about people. With confidence, you can allow it to transcend into other areas of your life, specifically speaking, your career. Sometimes I wonder if we as women need to learn more about confidence than men, because men seem to just get it. They go in there, they go to that interview, they could be the least qualified applicant in the room, but somehow they are able to exude a level of confidence that we as women just always second guess. And I wanted to know what's some advice that you can give us on how we can take this confidence, how we can drop the act and utilize that in our career, whether we're pursuing a job, whether we're in the career that we're in and we want to get better and get promoted. What can we do to to balance that out? Well, I think the first thing is I think the problem is our society has set it up this way. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a woman being less. Um, you know, applicable for a job or whatever. That's how society has created the world. I mean, I'm sure you see on social media how often you, you know, these major actresses talk about just even pay discrepancies between men and women. Like right. that's just the, that is for whatever reason, the world we live in and the world we've created. So part of that is just men go into those situations because they know off the bat, you know, they're more likely, they're a more likely candidate than than a woman it's disgusting but that's mm. what it is um the good thing about working in the industry and in fashion that people don't always point out i think is that it is obviously there are male but it's very female female oriented and that was a huge draw for somebody like me because i wanted to be able to run a company i wanted to be able to be an executive i wanted those things and fashion really kind of allows that I think that industry allows that. So that's that's a good thing about fashion. I think that, you know, I talk about it in the book. I really do believe, you know, sometimes people say things, you know, and people get angry when I say this, but you know, let's say a designer's collect a designer comes with a collection, you know, it's mediocre and this is their fifth collection and the fifth collection is still mediocre and kind of at the end of the day I don't really believe in just wish for it and it will happen. You you know, you have to know what you're good at. And I know people get upset when I say that, but you know, a lot of times I want to say to people, listen, by the ninth time, if it's not working, there maybe there's a reason for that. And I, that's a hard pill to swallow because, 
you know, one of the things my business partner and I did, I would do the things I was good at and she would do the things that she was good at. But once you kind of figure out your sweet spot, I feel like that authentic confidence is built automatically Mm. because you know, that's what you're good at. I mean, I'd say to my girls, you know, I want to do this. I want to soccer this, that, the other thing. And I say to them, okay, pick, you cannot do everything. Pick two or three things you want to do. And what do you feel really good at? Because I'd like you to pursue one of those three things as something that you know you're good at. And, you know, instead of saying, okay, you want to do 10 things, but, you know, maybe that's not, it's, so that automatically builds confidence in one area. For me, I was always super athletic. That was a strength for me. So my parents threw me into sports and I thrived and I felt really good about being good at that. Because I wasn't good at math. You know what I mean? Like Neither was I. No, I <laughs> hated it. Clearly verbal, I did well. But like, <laughs> math? I mean, I bombed math. So instead of saying, oh my God, you're horrible at math, it was kind of like, wait, you're great at reading comprehension, that you're great at your athletics. So I know that's a hard pill for people to swallow because who the hell wants to sit down and say, you know what? I love this, but I'm not so good at it. Um, right. I feel like that's... A, a lesson to be learned. And I do, I do say that in the book. I get slack for that a little bit because people are like, well, if you work hard enough and if you wish hard enough, I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes that's, that's just not enough. It's not enough. No, it's not. So that would be my first thing is kind of figuring out what, you know, what you love, um, but what you're really good at. And then you're confident, you automatically feel more confident at something that you're good at. Um, so when it comes to career, you know, you kind of have to figure out your sweet spot. I mean, it's like you said about like, you know, what you're doing, you figured out a niche that there was a, there was a need for it in the marketplace. You know what you're good at, you know what there is a void for and look at what you're doing. I mean, you know, that's, I think that's a really important lesson and that's kind of how I feel confidence is built. And I think that, you know, if you are going into a job interview and you want that job and you know, you're good at that job, then there's then you should always feel confident always that makes the journey so much more easier knowing what you're good at fueling your passion yes excellent excellent advice yeah thank you so much beth for coming on the show really quick before you go can you just tell us where we can get your book um any other you know projects that you're working on as well as your social media shout outs Sure. Okay. Um, you could buy the book anywhere. <laughs> uh, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, online in stores, Target, Walmart, all those major stores and maybe any of your local bookstores. I am built, I just built a new website actually, and we are just working on blog details and stuff, but it will be beththomascohen.com. And social media, I'm the last person on the face of this planet. I do not have Facebook. I know it's crazy. But I don't. That's okay. I'm thinking about deleting mine. <laughs> but I'm an Insta- Facebook. I'm an Instagram like. Whore. <laughs> I love Instagram because people don't need to talk; they can just look. Yeah. Sometimes people talk too much on social media, and I'm like, ah. Um. So my Instagram is Beth Thomas Cohen, and I'm also on Twitter. I'm trying to be better about Twitter. Um. But it's same thing, Beth Thomas Cohen. Um. At Beth Thomas Cohen on Twitter too. And thank you for having me so much. Thank you. Beth Thomas Cohen, drop the act. It's exhausting. And we will be right back after this brief message. Stay tuned. 
If you have not bookmarked blackgirlnerds.com into your web browser, I need you to do that now. Let's get your life together. Let's move one step closer to greatness. Started it? Are you there? You got it? All right, good, great. So the next step is also sharing and letting everybody know about Black Girl Nerds. We're all over the web. You can find us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr. By also subscribing to our podcasts, that helps significantly. So we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher. I highly advise and recommend that you subscribe to all of those channels. That way you have tons of options. Whether you're on your iPad, whether you're on your phone and you want to pull up your Stitcher app or your SoundCloud app, whatever it is, subscribe to all those channels because, again, the subscriptions do matter. In order for us in the iTunes space to get some sort of recognition, they really like it when you have subscribers. And they also really like it when people give ratings and leave comments. It's a thing with iTunes. It's a thing with a lot of social media streams, but especially iTunes. So leave us a comment, rate us, let us know how we're doing. Also, we appreciate all of your financial support. But anything you can do to support us financially is great. You can go to the PayPal button on our website, blackgirlnerds.com, on the right sidebar. Hit the donate button and pay as much as you can, or as little as you can. It doesn't matter. Every little bit does help. In addition to PayPal, we also have a store through TeePublic. We're selling tons and tons of t-shirts in different designs. We're also on Zazzle. We sell coffee mugs and things of that nature. So go to zazzle.com forward slash blurgasm. So those are the ways that you can support us. And on to our show. Enjoy. Our next guest is Sam White. Sam White currently holds the title as the only black woman in the United States, perhaps the world, holding the title of the founding artistic director of a Shakespeare company. Now in its third season, Sam White began Shakespeare in Detroit as a way to share the Bard's work with her hometown. The company has been recognized by the BBC, NPR, and several other major news outlets for its tenacity for out-of-the-box theater and engagement. Sam White also is the host of the BGN Shakespeare Chat that takes place on a monthly basis on Sundays at 11 a.m. via Twitter. Take a listen. I am here with Sam White. Sam is the creator of these great chats that we have been doing on Twitter every month for probably at least the last six months, maybe longer. Sam can correct me on that. Um, But I've been really excited to talk more about the Shakespeare chats, but also talk to Sam about the work that she's doing, the Shakespeare in Detroit um, organization that she is the artistic director of. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jamie. You're my favorite black girl nerd. I finally get to talk to you. I'm so excited. (laughs) Honored to be the favorite. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So when were you first introduced to Shakespeare? And when did you first fall in love with it? Because I feel like those are two separate things. You're you're first introduced to it in school, and then you kind of fall in love with Shakespeare, and it becomes everything about your literary existence. So when when did you first find out about him? And then when did you first fall in love? Yeah, you're totally right. There, Those were two separate um, occasions for me or two separate moments in my life because I was introduced to Shakespeare 
when I was eight years old by my mom, she, she didn't allow my brother or myself to listen to rap music. So if we wanted to have any sort of engagement with lyrics, it had to come from the bard. So she gave me his complete works when I was eight, but I hated it because I didn't understand it. But by the time I was a teenager, I had been reading it for a while and I'm um, exposed to a bit of it on stage. So it was a page to stage process for me. And that's when the love began, but definitely hated it in the beginning and <laughs> and eventually acquired a taste for it um, later on. That was the same for me as well. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think I appreciated Shakespeare when I first learned right. about it. I learned about it in middle school. We did yeah. the um, the very first book I ever read by Shakespeare was Romeo and Juliet. So cliche, but um, and then we watched the movie. Um, and then I, w- when I was in high school, ninth grade, I was bored one day and, and just started looking through all of these books in the library. And I just I don't know why it was random, but I picked up Hamlet and I started okay. reading it for leisure and I loved it. And I'm just like, yeah. this is the most like <laughs> scandalous book I have ever read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's it, it doesn't happen automatically, especially if you're exposed to it um, really young, because you have to live a little bit. Not that you've you know lived so much by the time you're in high school, but having a little bit of experience and, and some trials and tribulations, I think that makes it more tangible. And usually um, a lot happens when you're a teenager emotionally and, and kind of just seeing yourself in the world a little differently. I think that makes it more um, approachable for most people by the time they're a teenager. If they didn't get it before or love it before, which most people, I'm assuming, um, probably won't the first time out. Right. Yeah. Tell us about. Yeah, I love it now. Yeah, we we all do. A lot of us do. (laughs) And you've decided to create this organization. Tell us about Shakespeare in Detroit and what does an artistic director do exactly? Yeah, well, Shakespeare in Detroit, it's a, it's a site specific Shakespeare company. So that means that we're, we're performing in a different place every time we do a show. Um, we perform in the places. I always tell people where people live, where they work, where they play. And the reason we do that is because some people aren't going to come to a theater. No matter what you do, they're just not going to step into a theater. And so instead of asking them to come to, to us, we come to them and we pop up in places where they'll already be. So that could be a restaurant. That could be a park. That could be a recycling center. That could be anywhere in the city. And and the idea is to kind of um, sprinkle a little Shakespeare in different neighborhoods because I'm from a neighborhood in Detroit called Seven Mile and give people um, that experience because everyone doesn't have a mom that's going to make them sit down and read Shakespeare. And um, yeah, an artistic director, what do we do? Well, we we set the vision or the concepts for the plays, um, whether they're modern or contemporary, where they should be set what they should look like, feel like, what the play should convey, that sort of thing. We we create the tone for the show and then and then it takes off after that has been set or put into place. That's the fun part for me, figuring out if I want people to wear corsets or I want them to wear jeans. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not all it's of us can of fit into corsets, let me just say. <laughs> And they hurt. They hurt real bad. Oh, my God. They are not fun. They are not. I'm like, I swear a misogynist invented corsets. I swear that and high heels. For sure. I I totally (laughs) agree. The boning, it it pushes up against your skin. And I swear after you take a corset off, it still takes maybe an hour or two to feel like yourself again. So I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) You yes. um you also host a monthly chat moderating the Black Girl Nerds Twitter account on Sundays at 11 a.m. And our last chat, uh, which was a lot of fun, I noticed, was about Hamlet, which 
that was my first love with Shakespeare was Hamlet. Yes. Uh, yes. Using the hashtag BGN Hamlet, which was awesome. Uh, so what inspired you, first of all, to do these chats? And what has been the overall response? And how long have we been doing the uh, Black Girl Nerds Sunday Shakespeare chats? Well, the inspiration came from just finding um, my fellow Black Girl Nerds on Twitter and when I found out that you guys existed, I went, oh, my gosh, good. I can finally talk to somebody about Shakespeare. But the idea, too, is to um, is to make it um, more tangible for people, because Shakespeare, he would have wanted his works to be for everyone from gentry, which are kind of noble folks to commoners. Mm. And so um, I think if he were alive today, he would use Twitter. And since he's not, I'll do it for him and host the Black Girl Nerds Twitter chats every month on Sunday. It's it's um, and it also it because the conversations are so easy, easy. I think it shows people, you know, who maybe aren't enthusiasts like you and I, Jamie, that regardless of the language, you can still relate to his work because we all get cold. We all get hungry. We all get tired. We all have conflict. We all want to be happy. We all have families or friends. Sometimes we get betrayed. I think the Twitter conversations open that up and the Hamlet conversation was so much fun. Um, we've been doing it for about, it's been, we took a, br- a brief break in the summer, mm-hmm. um, but we did it, I think, beginning last year in November. And so, yeah, we've been oh, doing it for a while yeah. now with a oh. bit of a lull. Yeah, and it's going, it's, and it gets better every time. And And we always have people who are still kind of chiming in even after it's ended, but that's exciting because it means that classical arts matter and that and that people want to talk about it. And, and um, it's great. I'm so happy and grateful to be doing it. It's so funny. Whenever I notice that we do the chats, because um, we've been switching off with moderating. And at the beginning, I was moderating the chats under at Black Girl Nerds. And every time a chat would finish, I get a whole bunch of follows from these Shakespeare parody accounts <laughs> and, and, and a lot of these Shakespeare enthusiasts. And, and, it, and it's fun. I, I, I love it. I mean, like William yeah. Shakespeare is following Black Girl Nerds on Twitter. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I have That's to amazing. stress this, too. I have to stress this, that. It's not just for Shakespeare enthusiasts. It's for any yeah. kind of um, enthusiast or someone who is just remotely interested in Shakespearean plays or if you've watched any of the films. I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about Shakespeare myself. I know there's a few selections that I've read over the years and I've been able to chime in. But the great thing about these chats is you also talk about real life social issues and how that relates to Shakespearean art and, and Shakespearean literature. That's right. That's And that's one of the reasons um, next month we're going to talk about Othello on January 17th and at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard. Um, I think it's prime time to really talk about some of the social issues and racial issues and societal issues that have been going on in modern day. And using Shakespeare to frame that, it's going to be a really, I think, um, robust discussion. And I'm excited for a lot of people to chime in because um, I think it's so crazy how the things of latter day come back and, and kind of slap us in the face. And I think we're going to be able to put a lot of things in context and just happen to use Mr. William Shakespeare as the way to um, start the discussion or talk about some of the things we're facing today. It's so cool. It's like there's nothing really new under the sun. And, and you can use a lot of um, historical text or old fiction to 
kind of create a gateway to conversation and understanding. So, yeah, like you said, these the conversations in the Q&A with the Twitter chats that we have, the Shakespeare chats, they're not just for people who are into Shakespeare. It's really just for anybody living and breathing and experiencing life because all of the things that he wrote about are still relevant. So you don't have to know um, iambic pentameter or have all this kind of knowledge. Just if you're living and experiencing society today, you can chime into our conversations and have a lot to add because we always want to hear from everybody. Yeah, I think anybody can relate to Shakespeare's art. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we have these chats on Twitter. Like we've now advanced to technology in the digital age, but we're still talking about art that was very archaic and from, you know, centuries ago. So it, it's pretty awesome to see uh, that bridge happen with the uh, Shakespeare chats. For sure. The only thing that has changed with humanity are the costumes. Humans right. are still humans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. Uh, I know, and those darn corsets. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> What's your favorite Shakespeare play and why? It's Othello. It's Othello. Um, and it's and it's not and it's not and the reason why is because I had been reading Shakespeare for a while since I was eight, like I said, but when I saw Lawrence Fishburne play Othello with Kenneth Branagh, that kind of opened it up for me because I, I happened to be looking at someone who looked at, like me. And, and that's a huge deal, which is why even when I produce Shakespeare for my theater company, I try to make sure that real diversity is represented because sometimes, especially for a kid seeing it for the first time, the first thing they see is the actor. And then they get the rest of the information or what the actor is talking about. And so um, that made it more approachable for me. I don't say accessible. I like approachable better because accessible could mean, I don't know. I, I don't really know, but approachable <laughs> sounds, approachable sounds better because it, it's, you're able to um, touch it and understand it and relate to it and parallel your own life. And so, yeah, Othello is my favorite. Second to that is King Lear. I love mm-hmm. King Lear because we've all had um, shady relatives. When someone passed away, everyone wanted to know, even the ones who didn't visit the sick relative, who was getting the insurance money. Right. So Othello and King Lear are the top two for me. And very direct link to Empire. So Empire fans, the whole premise of that's that show is based off of King Lear, if you don't know that already. That's yeah. it. Yeah, timeless classic. So tell us, where can we learn more about your work, your social media shout outs, and when's the next Shakespeare chat with Black Girl Nerds? So you can find me at Detroit Sam White on Twitter or Shakes in the D on Twitter as well. And then uh, ShakespeareInDetroit.com. We try to keep everything pretty simple so people can find us easily. But you can you can talk to us about Shakespeare during the next Black Girl Nerds chat on January 17th when we talk about Othello. I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait. And it's going to be at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The hashtag is BGN Othello. That's BGN Othello. Tune in. Answer. If I don't ask a question um, that, that you want to answer, still answer anyway. Uh, you ask a question, everybody just chime in. And, and I always respond to every single tweet that's out there because um, I love talking to guy, you guys about Shakespeare. Get your coffee, have your laptop <laughs> ready, and chat all things Shakespeare with Sam White. Thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to chat with us. 
Thank you, Jamie, for having me. And thank you again for letting me host those chats. They really do give me life every month. I love them. Thank you. segment of all things that have been happening throughout the week from movie trailers to award nominations and I am here with my colleagues Lauren Warren and Mel Perez to talk about what's been happening this week so thanks ladies for coming back this week thanks for having me Jamie all right yeah yeah this is this is fun I love chatting with you guys um roof roof Now, what's the name of our fourth co-host here? My dog, Willow. <laughs> Willow, thank you for joining us on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. What is your thoughts about uh, what's been happening? <laughs> what's going what, on in Dog Blurred World? <laughs> what's going on in Dog Blurred World? What did you think? What did you think about this X-Men Apocalypse trailer? Wait. Willow's like, nah. Yeah, no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> She didn't like it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you my thoughts about it. I liked it. Contrary to popular opinion on Twitter, a lot of folks thought it was either mediocre or they didn't like it. I enjoyed it. I liked the fact that it didn't reveal too much about the film as opposed to <clears throat> Batman versus Superman. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, I think it, they gave us just enough to anticipate... Um, a really great story. We saw a little bit of Storm. Uh, we saw a little bit of Jubilee and Nightcrawler. There were no speaking roles in the trailer for the women X-Men, but, you know, I I, I didn't really read into it. Yeah, we didn't hear. Mystique spoke. Who who spoke? Jean Grey and Mystique. Jean Grey spoke. Oh, yeah. she did? Oh, okay. All right. Well, I... Looks like Mystique has a pretty big role in this one. She does, yeah. because there's going to be like a romantic arc with her and Eric, which... Which is gross. feel some type of way about that. That's Hollywood. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, so I, I stand corrected on that. I thought that there were none. Um, but I, I, I did enjoy it. It it was fine by me. Well, and then also uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse looked good. He did not look like Ivan Ooze. Uh, <laughs> so... You know, word to the wise, just don't put out any pre-production photos on the yeah. Internet because, you know, that's not really what the final product's going to look like. So don't get people riled up over nothing. Apocalypse looks just fine. Yeah, well, I thought so, too. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not really as, as far as X-Men goes. I, I've seen all of them. I'm pretty sure I will continue to see this one. I'll go see this one. Um, but I was entertained by it. Um, I did appreciate the fact that Apocalypse looked finished, unlike the other stills and things we've seen before. Um, I like the nice little shot of Charles Xavier in the wheelchair at the very end. Yeah. Ooh, uh, I yeah. actually kind of slowed that down a little bit so I could see. It's like, oh, if you blink too fast, you missed it, you know. So um, I really like that little touch. I didn't like how 
for just a hot second, I thought this was Mockingjay all over again in the outfit Jennifer Lawrence had on. And mm. it looked almost like something from the Hunger Games. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It was like, oh, there she is playing Katniss again when she's not Katniss. But okay. Um, I don't know. But I mean, it, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. I'll go watch. It's definitely not going to be, I think, I'm going to walk in with no expectations. How about that? Yeah. No expectations except to spend a couple of hours watching this movie and have a thought afterwards. So I think you should walk in with low expectations. Anytime you're going to see an X-Men movie, just have low expectations. Yeah, low to none. Right. Yeah. yeah. That You're safe that way. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, about- it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I just, I think my problem is always going to be, I'm always going to feel some type of way about the casting of Storm. Right. And then I'm kind of glad she didn't speak because I know if she had spoke, I would have been even more pissed off. <laughs> I'm like, who the hell? What, what is this? I mean, as right. it is, every time I see her, I'm like, she looks like a Tumblr girl. <laughs> That's new. I haven't heard that one before. What does a Tumblr girl look like? You know, like kind is that of even um, like an Instagram girl, like an not Instagram like an Instagram, Instagram model, like the Tumblr, you know, like the um, carefree black girl with the dyed hair, edgy. Ah, uh, okay. That, like what I would have looked like if I was 16 right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> not like what Storm. I do like the fact that she's Mohawk Storm, though. Like, I'm glad that they yeah. didn't throw some crazy yeah. wig like they did with Hallie and all of those movies. I, I, I did like the look of Storm. Um, I'm concerned, like you two, I, I really want her to sound good and sound as regal as the Storm that I know from the X-Men 90s animated series. But, um, you know, we'll we'll find out. Someone on Twitter had tweeted me saying that they had a friend that worked on the set and said that she did a pretty good job, so... That that remains to be seen, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. It, it's gonna be a summer popcorn movie. Yeah. You're gonna go in. People are gonna be entertained. It's not really worth uh, deep analysis of any kind. You're just there to watch and and right. just watch. You know, mutants beat each other up and wait. Yeah. It really makes sense. But yeah, yeah, I can watch that. I'm I'm good with it. Yeah. Yep. Not like Batman versus Superman. That's a whole different feeling. <laughs> <laughs> So you finally saw the trailer, Mel. What did you think? It was so long. Like, I got up at one point to get my mic, and I'm like, is this thing still going? It It really was a long trailer. I feel like they revealed a lot. They they showed the entire movie. The entire movie. And it's like, ugh. Because my brother is very excited to see this, and we've been talking about it. He's like, you need to let go of your hate for that, for Ben Affleck being Batman. I was like, I don't think I have to. I don't think no. I can think I can hold on to that for a long time. And I think after this, I can still hold on to it. I'm still good. Because looking at him, I don't see any Bruce Wayne in him at all. Mm. There was nothing. He was just Batman the entire time that I saw him on screen. Yeah. Clark Kent was nice. But Who's not? Sexy, sexy Clark Kent. Yeah. Sexy Professor Clark. He was the best part of that that trailer. Like, that would be the only reason I would see it because Batman is ill. Lex Luthor reminds me of, like, a. Um, I've spent a lot of time in comic book stores with um, comic book dudes. And Lex Luthor reminds me of that kind of guy who hangs out in the comic book store all day and has those conversations. Who would win in a fight against Batman versus Superman? Except he can actually do it in this movie (laughs) (laughs) that is true henry cavill looks a hell of a lot more buff as clark kent 
than Ben Affleck really as Batman. <laughs> yeah, Ben Affleck looked as if he was trying to be Bane instead. Like he yeah. just he's just incredibly swell and of course the the voice he's borderline Darth Vader with the deep Batman voice. And I, I wasn't quite sure why they always go so deep, but Yeah. You know, and Jesse Eisenberg just plays Jesse Eisenberg in every movie Jesse Eisenberg is in. There was I didn't see Lex Luthor at all. I saw I, I just saw a power tripping fanboy. I'm sorry. Ah, that's perfect. <laughs> with, with an unlimited budget and well, the power to make his superheroes fight for him. I mean, that's all I saw. A lot of people criticize Jesse Eisenberg's performance just based off this trailer, um, that it was too much like the Joker. And I I suspect that that is not all we're going to see of Lex Luthor that he's putting on a front in those uh, scenes that we saw and that there's going to be a lot more to Lex than what was revealed in the trailer. Because remember, there's that bald head version of Lex Luthor, and I feel like that that is where we're going to see a more menacing version than than the, you know, kind of wacky, lighthearted, jokey uh, Lex that we saw in the trailer. I yeah. hope so. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. I was disappointed I did not see any Jason Momoa. I was waiting for that. This trailer was like 15 minutes long and not one peak. But you got Wonder Woman. Yeah, you did she get Wonder Woman. Wedges. Yes. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> Why is she wearing wedges? I don't know. That, that was a great reveal at the end, though, with yeah. Wonder Woman. That that I definitely... That was good. Yeah, it, it made the trailer satisfying, even though I felt kind of meh about it. But that was the best part of the trailer was Wonder Woman. By and she didn't have to speak. I, I know some people had issue with her not talking, but I kind right. of like the fact that she just showed up and said, oh, I got this in her own way. Yeah. Like, While you two bicker, I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, oh, goodness. Who is, who is it that they were fighting? Um, uh, whoever it was, not so much of an impression it made on me. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I got this. You two go ahead and keep dude bro fighting. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the name. I it, it escapes me as well, the name of the villain that they're fighting, that everybody was all up in arms that they had. Abomination? No, my memory fails me. I know, my, you know, I didn't, I didn't read much Batman. I don't know. Doomsday. 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 Domination. What am I watching? <laughs> I think you're thinking of like apocalypse, but then sort of a manifestation of apocalypse, and and that's maybe no. At least okay. you got I tried. It. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the effort. I really do. But there's no explaining that. <laughs> so another thing that happened this week was the nominations of both the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes. So what were your thoughts about the nominations? Who got nominated and who did not? Trash. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes I, to diversity, definitely. Well, yeah. Um, I also, my, I guess my biggest question, and I remember seeing this in the news before, so I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But the fact that The Martian was nominated as a comedy slash musical and not as a drama because they were afraid that they wouldn't, compete with the other films in the drama category so they were allowed to actually change and by doing that i know for the golden globes by doing that uh straight out of compton itself wasn't nominated for anything mm -hmm. and i feel like maybe the martian kind of took that spot oh and i think that sets a slippery slope in the future um you know, to me, if you're making a film, you're making a film because there's a message and there's a story you don't make a film because you assume you're going to win awards 
Exactly. So if that's what you're making movies for, then maybe you need to move on to something else. But uh, that stuck out to me. And, of course, the uh, the movie side of the Golden Globes uh, is not very diverse, but the, the television side uh, seems to be a little bit more balanced. But, uh, yeah, that whole Martian thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. It was ridiculous when it came out. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> That's what you want to do, fine. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's it's just, is that all it takes now? Well, I, I know it's That's technically much it. But I want to call it an animated comedy. I mean, you know, we just start changing what movies are now because you just want to win awards. Yeah. I didn't see The Martian, so I don't know enough about it to go, is it really a drama? Is it more on the comedy it's side? Like, Yeah. There are funny moments in The Martian, but ultimately it's a drama. I mean, it's about a guy who's stranded on a planet by himself for over a year. (laughs) I mean, funny moments, but no, not really. There's a number of funny moments that are required in order something to be called a comedy. So it's like the film Castaway, essentially, where he's just by himself and it's... Castaway in space. In space. That's both Matt Damon again. Oh, wow. How many times are we going to save this man? (laughs) I know. Oh, Matt Damon, why? Why? You're so disappointed. You little rascal, you just stand still. (laughs) And be quiet. Don't say anything else. Yes. Ever. (laughs) Yeah, I I was very disappointed that uh, one of the best films that I saw this year was not nominated, which I want us to talk about in a little bit. But Creed did not get a Best Picture nod. Shame on the... Hollywood Foreign Press, Press, shame on them for that, um, because it it, it should have gotten nominated. And Ryan Coogler should have gotten a nomination for Best Mm -hmm. Director. Should have gotten Best Actor. Yes. Sylvester Stallone did get a nomination for Best Supporting Actor, which ironically enough, I saw a lot of people on Twitter predicting that. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't a surprise for a lot of us that the one white dude in the movie gets the nomination. <laughs> Still pisses me off, though. I wish they hadn't done it. If they weren't going to nominate for Best Picture, Best Director, or Best Actor, nothing then. Give nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone feels like insult. It does. His role in the movie was pretty good, but there were other performances that were a lot stronger. I thought I mean, he I'm not saying he was bad. He did a really good job, but he could have done a really good job in that movie. And it still could have sucked without the direction and Michael B. Jordan being amazing. So it doesn't make sense to nominate him and not the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, sometimes Hollywood's got to honor the old guard, you know, and I guess they figure all these kids are new. Uh, let's give let's give one for the old guy. Uh, right. I don't know. They tend to want to pat their, their own kind on the back. You know, the sort of guy who's been around forever. Let's just give them something. We got to right. give them something, but we can't. We're not going to give it to them. So let's just give it to Sly instead. Right. Yeah, they do do that sometimes, but then they do give it to like these young people that come out of nowhere. Like Eddie Redmayne is the new favorite because he was nominated last year and won. And now he's nominated this year and he's probably going to win again. Jennifer Lawrence, who gets nominated every year at this point. I mean, we won't talk just, about that, but yeah. You know, the people that they like because they remind themselves of, you know, them when yeah. they were younger. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Michael I, B. Jordan does not remind themselves of them when they were younger. They don't understand this movie because it was really black. It was very black. <laughs> and they're like, I'm confused. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, you know, drama in an urban setting. Black characters. What is, that? what is that about? Let's just give it a sly. 
the one thing they understood from that movie. Let's give right. it that. That was the takeaway. But I feel like Creed didn't feel like a black film in the way that Straight Out of Compton is a black film. Like I felt right. that this was a film that anybody could relate to, that all audiences um, would be able to identify with, and that you could insert white characters in these roles and it would still play out the same way. So mm-hmm. Creed had a lot more um, crossover appeal, I thought, than some of the other black films that came out this year. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm actually a bit surprised that it didn't get more nominations. But are you really? I know it's you know <laughs> I, I I actually kind of am. I I really did think that it was going to garner at least for best picture, and that Ryan Coogler would get a nomination because he got so much critical acclaim for his work in Fruitvale Station. Yeah. That I thought, okay, this is his year. You know, he's getting a lot of press right now, especially with the whole. Black Panther rumors that are sprouting out. So I thought that maybe, okay, I think he may get this nomination. And when I didn't hear his name announced or see it anywhere, I was just like, wow, well, that's a snub. Where the, the Screen Actors Guild and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association have gotten it wrong. Maybe, just maybe the Academy might get it right. right. And I know that these two are usually sort of a precursor to what's going to happen during the Oscars. But maybe... Maybe. Put a little bit of that faith, just a teensy, teensy bit, into the Academy, and maybe they'll surprise us. No guarantees, so. uh, but maybe. Maybe this will be the year they get it right. Yep. Let's, let's hope so. Let's hope so. One uh, nomination that I did like, that I was very much excited for and was celebrating, was Rami Malek's nomination for Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot yes. is like the breakout hit of the year. Uh, Mr. Robot itself, the show, got a nomination as well. So congratulations to all of them. Christian Slater also got a nomination. Uh, so that's exciting because they it was well-deserved. Like that show is just awesome. amazing. Rami's performance, he's mm-hmm. like 50% of the reason why I love watching that show. All of those nominations were definitely well-earned. It's one of those great examples of how TV is just killing it right now. And movies are. are (laughs) True. That was a surprisingly amazing show. I didn't think it would be that good. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because what was the name of the other show? There was another show that had to deal with computer hackers that premiered on... uh, The one on AMC. What was that? Was it the one on AMC? Am I thinking of that? No. I don't think that was happening. Halt, halt and Catch Fire. Oh, That's the one. Was on AMC. I got into that one. Yeah. yeah. I watched the pilot and I was just like, this is so boring. It was just, there was <laughs> nothing there. And I love Lee Pace. I love him to death. So I was really rooting for this show. But um, yeah, when Mr. Robot came out, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be somewhere on the lines of Halt and Catch Fire. And it completely blew me away. Like that pilot alone just had me addicted. So Yeah. Well, I'm happy for the Mr. Robot folks. Any other nominations that you were excited about or anybody that was snubbed where you were just like, man, missed opportunity there. I was um, happy for Mad Max being nominated for um, best motion picture in the drama category. I was yeah. surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, it was a little iffy. I, I, it seemed to almost be on the road to being snubbed, I thought. And that would have been an injustice for sure. Yeah, a lot of people were excited about that. I still haven't seen Mad Max, so I don't know enough to be like, oh, I'm glad it got nominated or, you know, 
feeling like if it got snubbed that I would be upset about it. So, but a lot of people were excited about Mad Max. Yeah, getting that, that, that nomination. Was, yeah, I, I saw it four times in the theater. <laughs> oh wow! So I it's obviously it good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would go with one of my friends. Like, are you bored right now? Yeah, let's go see Mad Max. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I guess I have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Idris got a nomination. He got two. Uh, nominated for Netflix's uh, original movie, Beasts of No Nation, and for Luther. Yes. Beasts of No Nation was excellent. Excellent film. It, it's hard to watch, but I swear, he pulled kind of the same thing that Denzel did in Training Day where he's this beloved character that you've seen in so many movies and then he becomes this villain that you just hate and I actually for the first time hated Denzel in Training Day that's the same way with Idris as this uh, character in Beasts of No Nation so hopefully he will take away an award the same way Denzel did for Training Day (laughs) he hit him in the wire so that's not going to be that different that's right, which I have never yeah. seen. I have never seen. Like the I didn't wire. even know it was English for the longest time. <laughs> A lot of people said that, yeah. Yeah, I thought he was from Baltimore. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm with this. <laughs> oh, he was really yeah, good. I've never watched. Uh, never watched one moment of <laughs> the wire. I haven't either. That's why. Yeah, I, I I forgot that he was like the main villain on that show. So people have seen him in this role before. Yeah, depending on who you ask, it's, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, it's okay. So I'm sort of, do I sit and watch it? Or do I, I just know. Think? That's the way I feel. Or... <laughs> just watch a couple of episodes and see. People, yeah, people yeah. always Some get so... are better than others. That I heard it, it really doesn't pick up until, like, season two is what someone told me. Somebody said that, because season two, I think, was, like, one of the worst seasons. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> it switches, um, it's takes on different storylines from around the city so like the first season has to do with um the drug dealers the second season i think it's the dock workers and a lot of people thought that season was really boring and then third season is that politics yeah and the fourth season is like the kids in the school system which is the one i'm stuck on because it's so sad <laughs> and then the fifth season's the ending <laughs> One day I'll get into it. I, I tried watching, I watched like three episodes and it was boring, but I want to get into it because a lot of the shows that were made back then took longer to cook than they are now. Like now shows are like built for people like me that have ADD. Like they get you sucked in right away. Breaking right. Bad did that for me. Mr. Robot did that for me. The new show Into the Badlands. But I know shows back then, it, it took a while for it to pick up speed, so... Because they had the time before being canceled. <laughs> now it's like, if the, you don't have an audience by episode two. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. So let's yep. talk about, let's talk about Creed. Uh, we've all seen it. If you are listening now and you have not seen Creed, then just fast forward through this little part because there may be some spoilers. So what were your thoughts when you first experienced Creed in the theaters? I, okay, so you see how I was speechless? <laughs> <laughs> Same thing happened. I I was moved, um, moved to tears for many reasons. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was it was a, a right, just this wonderful blend of watching this young man struggle with going after this legacy while trying not to fully embrace this legacy, watching him trying to stand on his own two feet. Um, watching his interactions with Rocky, 
uh, how badly he wanted the success and his his relationship with. Uh, I, yeah, I, I shed a few tears. <laughs> um, and there was a moment where uh, he was knocked down in that final fight with uh, yeah. Ricky Conlon. And they went through this whole montage and they showed that one small clip of Apollo Creed. Yes. And I was done. <laughs> just That's... getting goosebumps just thinking about it. What was I the mean... what was the line that uh, Adonis Creed had said that he wanted to be loved by his dad or he just wants to be loved? Like I just want him to love me. Or I, I want him to be proud of me or something. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. It was that moment that I cried. I was just like, oh my god. There were several <laughs> moments in which I cried. He just wants him. to be loved and accepted. That's why he's right. taking these punches all the time. Or even he before wants that, to be when accepted he accepted on his own terms, right? Like not yeah. because of his father's name, um, but he wants to be him. He just wants to sort of come to come to this journey on his own and. I don't know. It, it, it wasn't a sequel. It was a nice handoff from one old franchise to the next. Yeah. It could go on the way it was set up. It could definitely go on. I just thought it was beautifully shot, beautifully made. The acting was great. And I would see it again. I would definitely see it again. Yeah, the shots were phenomenal. The cinematographer, a woman, shout out to her. I don't know her name, but she did a phenomenal job with the scenes inside of the ring. The fight choreography was brilliant. I felt like I was in the ring when I was witnessing those scenes and as the camera was swaying back and forth and it was pushing in and out, in and out of frame and, and going, you know, from zooming in and it was blurry and that rack focus, like it, they did such a great job with the framing in those scenes and the performances were just spectacular. Michael B. Jordan, amazing. I mean, he doesn't surprise me when he's in these roles and he kills it because he did a phenomenal job in Fruitvale Station with Ryan. And then Tessa Thompson really did a great job. And and I, I loved seeing a role where a woman of color is dealing with a disability. I've not seen that. Yes. um, At least in recent films. And that was great to be able to see this woman dealing with progressive hearing loss and the way that was depicted and that she was a woman that was independent. She had her own career. It was great. I, I was honored to be uh, able to see it. They had a press screening with Warner Brothers. They had invited me to check it out. And um, I saw it long before it hit, came out. And I tried to tweet here and there saying, you really guys got to go see Creed. <laughs> and it's it's a great film. I trust me that you will not be disappointed. And I was so happy that, you know, when the film finally came out and people saw it and they were like, you were right. It was really good. And and I'm glad that people enjoyed it as much as I did, because it it is by far, in my opinion, one of the best films that came out this year. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. I mean, one of the things when I said earlier that it's a very black film, I mean it in the sense that it treats us all as actual people, fully realized people. Mm -hmm. I mean, with you know, the slang that they use, it's things that I'm used to seeing in my everyday life, used to seeing, used to hearing when um, Tessa Thompson's character, what is her name? I can't remember it right now. At one point when somebody called her light skin, and I'm like, I've never actually seen that in a movie (laughs) ever before when somebody said that. But you hear that all the time. And when he was helping her with her braids, I'm like, never seen that either. (laughs) Just every, how everything was handled. It was like seeing my world on screen in a way that made it normal. Right. It normalized it. It didn't make it into a stereotype. It didn't make it. I mean, they could have made his story 
very, very stereotypical. I mean, he was in prison as a child. He, his father, he was born out of wedlock. He doesn't know his father. They could have made this into the stereotypical movie that, or storyline that you're used to seeing for black characters. And it was handled so beautifully. And I'm just, oh, I'm just pissed off that stupid Hollywood foreign press, they don't get it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and and the thing is, there were so many people of color behind this film. Like, yes. the, the, from the director to the writers, writer Aaron Covington, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Felicia Rashad was in it. She had a really great role. I, I just, you know, it, it, it's very disappointing when you see films of this caliber and it's doing what it's supposed to do. It, it's diversity in all forms, both behind mm-hmm. and in front of the screen. And they, they get snubbed like this. But um, we're like Lauren said, Oscars haven't been announced yet. Maybe we got an opportunity with the Academy on this one. And even if they don't, like, who cares about that stuff except them at this point? We all know the movie was good. That's right. true. And that's the difference yeah. between, like, this film and The Martian. You know, we make they made Creed because he had this original idea. It was great. He wanted to tell a story. Awards be damned. He wanted yes. to tell the story. Yeah. The story was great. Everyone sees that. If they're awarded for it, so be it. But I think the bigger reward comes in. The bigger award is knowing that it touched and reached so many people. You don't need a statue yeah. in order to be successful that way. That's true. So you, exactly. When you cross a line and you, you start determining success by the number of statues that you have on your mantle for a movie, might be time for a career change. That's true. And it did very well at the box office. I believe it, it brought very, in like over yeah. 40 million opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, so it, it it's made some very impressive numbers. So, yeah. And, and you could see online the, the reach that uh, it, it had with people, how it touched people, uh, you know, all the various critics and other and just viewers are tweeting their their tickets to the movie theater and just how excited they were just to be there. It was an event. It was an event. And families, mm-hmm. you know, enjoyed this over Thanksgiving weekend. So, I mean, whether or not it gets nominated, the film was successful. We all know it. Mm-hmm. If we can make up an award for it, we'd give it to them anyway. So, um, but the best award we can give is our money at the box office and its support. Definitely. Yes. Honorary Just- award from BGN, Creed, Best Picture. There you go. Ryan Coogler, Best Director. <laughs> best Director, Ryan Coogler. Best Michael Actor, Michael B. Jordan, yes. Best Cinematography, Maurice Alberti, I think is her name. Maurice Alberti, yes. Yeah fantastic cinematography so yeah good good gave um came up with the soundtrack an award too yeah is that is that a big mill song yes it is there what yeah the (laughs) myth was in it quite a bit i believe yeah the intro it was wasn't it the walkout music for uh, Mm -hmm. uh for michael b jordan or was it for ricky conlon i forget which one uh well he walked out uh he walked out to Tupac's Hail Mary I do remember that because okay. I really like that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was a song I think when he was running and they were ch- they were following him on oh, the, yeah, yeah. the quads with the bikes with the bikes yeah I think that I think that was a Meek Mill song okay um yeah and Tessa Thompson's songs were absolutely the I I bought those on iTunes as soon as I got home and they've been on. Rip- Pete ever since and they're not very long but they're they're just oh they're just perfect that alt r&b flavor to it i just loved it oh. yeah, yeah and sort of trip hoppy sort of like back in the day when tricky uh made like trip hop i don't know it, it, it was just great 
wonderful soundtrack too. Best soundtrack, BGN award goes to Creed. Woohoo! All the awards to Creed, just all of them. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Not to the trailers that they showed before Creed, which were awful. <laughs> well, I thought the, tra- the hey, I was hooked when the trailer came out. No, I mean like the trailers before the movie, before Creed. Oh, you mean oh those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got uh, the big short. Is that the movie with Kevin Hart and, um... No. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I, 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 like, I see what you did there, but no. <laughs> see, I, yeah, I didn't um, see, I didn't see the trailers, because they didn't have that or in the screening that I was in, well, but I had heard that they had shown, like, some of the blackest movies you will ever see. They showed... Yeah, <laughs> they showed the stupid Egyptian Gods movie, and I was determined not oh, to preview no. for that. <laughs> that's like salt in the wound right there really they show that bracketed by two kevin hart movies and barbershop three which i wasn't angry about but <laughs> yeah we, oh, we got no, the, it was the movie about the mortgage crisis and again and that one was nominated for a com- as a comedy as well and it has christian bale and some other folks in it and then there was another movie uh, on a about people on a boat and a ship about to sink but it wasn't the whale movie not in the heart of the sea, but it was something else about a ship that splits in half and they have to be rescued. Oh, That's man. what we got up here. And I saw the, um, so the Kevin Hart movies, Barbershop 3. So it's two Ice Cube movies, two Kevin Hart movies, The Gods of Egypt and Revenant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that lineup. <laughs> that was so random that they inserted Gods of Egypt. I guess, They're do like, they think oh, it's a black film? Like, is that what? black people. You like Egyptian gods. Here, watch, you know, this Scottish guy play your Egyptian god. It's so Or fun. maybe it's a little black in here. We should lighten it up a bit. Let's just throw this one in for good measure. Let's see how they like that. Chadwick Boseman wasn't even in that trailer. I was about to ask, did they just show Chadwick Boseman no. in the scene? It's they could catch it then. It looks so bad. I'm like, not, even, not only are the gods white, like the, the the audience that they were talking to, the people, the Egyptian people were white too. Well, like, like, what was it, the Jamie, you had tweeted, like, it looks like a Seth Rogen movie. It does. <laughs> those dude, That shot with those dude bros and the whole, you know, Egyptian pharaoh get up. It, yeah, yeah. They, they look like, you know, Seth Rogen extras. It, yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, if you can't be in the sun for longer than 15 minutes without sunscreen, you can't play an Egyptian. That's yep. just the way it goes. Yep. That yep. There, was no sun, there was no sunscreen back then. All of them would have died. Or if I rub your cheek and your color comes off, you're disqualified. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this movie is going to do so bad. Good. So bad. I hope so. I hope it tanks big time. I hope it gets ripped from the theaters like Jem the Movie did, like in I its second it week. Razzies. It should win all the Razzies. Yeah. Worst movie, worst concept, yes. worst execution. Give them all the Razzies. Yep. Yep. Can't I just wait. want one day for Hollywood to learn, but they still have it. I mean, they made this movie after the stupid um, Exodus, Exodus movie, which was made after the stupid Noah movie. It's just a back-to-back insult. There's movie. been a long history of biblical films and films out of that region that have been whitewashed since the beginning of cinema. I mean, damn, the Ten Commandments and... Ben-Hur and all of those movies have been whitewashed over the years. It's, it seems like Hollywood thinks that that is really an accurate depiction of North Africa. That, that is a white centered, you know, region of the, the country or of the continent. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if they actually took a trip and said, Oh crap, we've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> 
Damn it. You mean Cerebro Cerebro Mil? Mil? Really? <laughs> I thought everyone looked like us. Why didn't anyone tell us? Why you oh. always lying? <laughs> Why you effing lying? Exactly. Somebody needs to cut that um that trailer with that. <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. That would be awesome. Somebody needs to do that for real. Yeah. Hey, if you're listening, uh, you could put that song to the trailer of uh, Exodus of Gods and Kings. That'd be yep. great. Yeah. Oh. God. And do a mashup of all biblical movies done in North Africa with that whole meme. With that song. Yep. Oh, Boom. God. There it is. There it is. All right. It's our it's our idea though. So we so there's your homework, kids. <laughs> so I remember when Exodus came out, like I was talking to my brother and we recast the movie with a better cast. <laughs> like so an accurate had, like, cast, maybe? Yeah, we had um Edris Elbow as playing Ramses and uh Chiwetel Ejiofor, I think this mm-hmm. yeah. was playing Moses. Mm-hmm. And then um, Felicia Rashad was playing their mother. <laughs> it was just, and I'm like, we're gonna just make this better. Yeah. Pretend this was the movie that they came out with. Yeah, sadly they didn't. Mm. I have not recast Gods of Egypt because I'm gonna pretend that it, it it doesn't exist. I don't know what movie you're talking about. Yep. What yeah. movie? Gods of what? Are we talking yeah. about Creed? <laughs> Creed. We were talking about Creed. Yeah. yeah. A movie with actual black people in it. Yeah. Actual black people treated humanely. Yes. Yes. I was like, this is, you know, I guess you got to, what is it, gain and lose 60, 70 pounds, and then they'll give you something? Complete and, transformation gets you awards. And being white. Yeah. So, not if you're that Leonardo last one, mostly. Yeah, not if you're, Le- unless you're white or Leonardo DiCaprio. Just <laughs> or not Leo. <laughs> well, we got nominated, so we'll see what happens this year, right? He's going to oh be Susan God. Lucci all over again. <laughs> they say he was, like, sleeping in dead animal carcasses for this last movie. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and he was violated that. by a bear on set or something. Or oh. at least in the movie. In the movie, his character is violated by a bear. Sorry. Ooh, that went way left. <laughs> um, his character <laughs> I heard that. I heard that didn't actually happen, though. <laughs> So when I you say that, and then a lot of other people are like, "No, that didn't happen." When you say violated, can you expand? <laughs> like, was he mauled, or was he like touched he inappropriately mauled. by the bear? He wasn't mauled. He was mauled. <laughs> so did uh, the- <laughs> that's his character. You know, allegedly his character was was um, violated because I'm gonna keep it clean. Uh, he was violated by the bear. So they leak these things, I'm guessing, to garner some sympathy. Oh, I mean, come on, look at what this poor character had to go through. I mean, it wasn't enough that he, you know, was on a, the Titanic and he got dead in the cold water. <laughs> Let's just give it to this because he got, I, I don't know. I, I think Leo is just that guy that they are just determined to just it's not reward him for anything. And yeah. he's done some really great movies in the he past. He has. That's the problem. That's the, that's the weird thing. He's done great things in the past. Who's eating Gilbert Grape? The Departed. If he wasn't nominated for any of those, I mean, he was. He just didn't win. He keeps getting nominated. He just doesn't win. That's I, his problem. He's Leo Lucci. <laughs> Leo Lucci. Yep. So I want to um, wrap it up, but before we go, I want to talk about one more thing. There is a movie that is coming out at the end of this week. One of the biggest films of the year of the decade probably uh star wars episode seven the force awakens what are you guys planning for this weekend 
I've got I'm my- not going this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to be in that craziness. Let me tell you why. Because uh, the movie theaters up here, there's a lot of people and very few movie theaters to accommodate all said people. And I have a feeling people are already starting to line up. And wow. my my plan is to see it a little closer in a week too. And I know this movie will make tons of money even without my little pinties. Yes. So um, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. But we are going to go see it. I just, I can't do first day crowd, first two, three day crowds. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way, um, but I am going to see it on opening night. I'm going to see it on Thursday, the 17th. There's a few reasons for this. The big one is Twitter. Yeah, I know that there's going to be spoilers, and I don't want that to happen. There are already so, spoilers out. There, you know what? There has been some some leaked spoilers already. So mm-hmm. uh, I I really just want to hurry up and watch it and get it over with. So I'm not going to be mad at people and and blocking folks left and right because they ruin the movie for me. Yes. Uh, so yes, I will be there Thursday with my Star Wars shirt on. And I'm going straight after work. There's a seven o'clock screening that I have my ticket for. I had purchased my ticket the day that they went on sale on Fandango. Yeah, right before the website crashed, I was able to complete my (laughs) sale. (laughs) I had to wait till the next morning because it crashed while I was buying the stupid ticket. It was crazy, wasn't it? It, I mean, like it crashed so hard. Everybody was getting their ticket. Yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna see it on Thursday, also at seven o'clock. Oh, and cool. it's one of those theaters where you can reserve your seat, so I'm not even worried about mines or anything, thankfully. Oh, so, wow. My yeah. theater doesn't have that, but I'm going to hopefully when I get there, it'll be early enough to where I can get a good seat. If not, then I don't mind sitting in the nosebleed section. I just I just want my ticket, and I just want to go in there and see it opening night. Uh, I am very excited. Like this entire week, I am wearing Star Wars apparel. Like Star Wars is my thing. I'm so <laughs> Like, I already have a Finn doll. Like, I can't wait for it. Me too. I have my Finn doll at my desk at work. Oh, so my God. Adorable. I have the, the Finn doll. I have, like, a gigantic, I wish I could show you, like, um, stuffed uh, Jawa and a stuffed Stormtrooper right here. Nice. I mean, <laughs> I have been buying so much Star Wars crap because it's on everything now. Yep. Yes. <sighs> I Most just want of- it to be good because if it's not, I don't know, J.J. Abrams. I, I have faith and change his name because there are a lot of people still mad at him for a lot of things. I'm like, you can't piss Lost. off the Star Trek people <clears throat> and the Star Wars people. You got to get out of the country. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I really have a feeling he's going to exceed our expectations. Like, I think people are going to come in thinking, oh, gosh, this is probably not going to be as good as what we've seen in the past, but I think it's probably going to be one of the better Star Wars films. And it can't be worse than the prequels. That's it can't be. Saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like that's the lowest bar, those prequels. And, and the lowest. Yeah. I, I think, and they were very, I think they had some sort of press conference or something. And uh, Kathleen Kennedy, one of the producers, uh, someone asked, will this movie have any disappointments? And she says, Jar Jar Binks will not be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about it. So that that was cool seeing that from Kathleen Kennedy. So yeah, I I think they're they're definitely going to do a good job. Even if it is bad. I couldn't even say because this is how big of a Star Wars fan I am. Like when the um, Phantom Menace came out, it came out on my birthday, so I skipped school to go see it. <laughs> and I couldn't admit that it was a bad movie for a solid decade. Like I would fight you on this. <laughs> I bought the novelization. I still have it. <laughs> They still have like a Queen Amidala pillow and Anakin Skywalker pillow. 
Nice. Wow. Have it. And I'm like, oh my God, what was wrong with me? Because <laughs> you're a Star Wars fan. And you're you fan. you and you didn't know that the films were gonna be that bad when you I'm sure when you brought the merchandise. So we were all lied to. Yeah. Yep. I actually had a talking Jar Jar Binks toy, which I did get rid of eventually, but (laughs) Okay. You see, I don't know if I would have actually copped to that. Well, one of those dear diary things. There's a there's a Star Wars fan right at no, right now who's feeling me on this. They're like, Yeah, I had I had that same toy. So you guys can, you know, form a support group together of <laughs> Feel it. former owners of Jar Jar Binks merchandise. Anonymous. Anonymous. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. cool. This this was a great discussion. I appreciate you guys chatting with us and listening in to our, our weekend segment. Uh, but before we wrap up, Lauren, you can go first and then Mel, give us your social media shout outs, any projects that you're working on. And let us know what's going on. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Twitter handle at I am Lauren P. Uh, diversity in gaming series is still ongoing, although a temporary hiatus for the holidays, but I will be kicking back up soon. And uh, just look for some more people being featured. Okay. Um, you can find me at on Twitter at Jane underscore Anon. And... Um, Eventually, I will start reading more comics and writing about them, hopefully next week. But right now, I'm not really doing anything. Music on the BGM podcast provided by Samus. Go to soundcloud.com forward slash Samus Music. That's soundcloud.com forward slash S-A-M-M-U-S Music.